0: church God is good and all the time amen and amen thank you so much Inga Uh, that was uh, that was really some beautiful worship this morning thank you also to the praise and worship team Uh, good to see gnomes taking the lead this morning well done Uh, good to see Dylan back on the drums as well Uh, we such a blessed uh, church and the family, um, it's also good to see uh, my brother and his family in church this morning. God bless you, um, also I'm aware that it is uh, uh, Uncle Mark and Auntie Leigh's anniversary this morning. Hey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, how many years now? Fifty. 35? My Lord, thirty-five. Yo, yo, yo. That's almost as old as I am. <laughs> thirty-five years. Well done. Well done. Uh, God has really blessed you. May He continue to do so. Bless you with uh, good health, uh, more love, more romance, more finance, more holidays, getaways. Amen. And um, anybody else celebrates a birthday anniversary that I'm unaware of. Nobody. Oh, 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 oh. Can you tell when did you guys? That was uh, on the fourth, eh? Shoo, shoo, shoo. Okay, happy anniversary, guys. Uh, I just wish you guys in the week. I <laughs> mean, eight years. 13.
1: 13.
0: 13. 13. Sure, that's almost as old as. whoa, uh, uh, woo. woo. <laughs> All the kids are in <laughs> you're catching up with Uncle Mark and Until then well done you got a, you got a long journey to go, and um, if anybody else is uh, traveling these holidays, please let us know. Uh, we'd also like to uh, pray with you so send to your requests on the chats just so we can trust God for your safe traveling mercies um, these holidays. Um, and uh, I was just thinking this morning uh, while Inga was uh, ministering to the Lord, I was thinking, you oh, know, when, lost did we have a spoken word from our brother Grenville? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There's this guy, ever since uh, Eliana's in the picture, she doesn't get to see her dad uh, perform some uh, poetry. Grenville Christmas Day, I suppose. You know, can we zoom you in or something? <laughs> My goodness. The Greens also go away on holiday. Um, there's a few of our family that are also going away on holiday. May God just protect you and keep you. And um, yeah, next week also, um, family, um, we, we are not going to be doing any preaching. We're going to have a praise and worship uh, service. Um, so please, uh, you guys say that like you're really excited. I'm not preaching. <laughs> <laughs> I know it gets rough, but it can't be that bad, eh? <laughs> Uh, So we're just gonna have a worship a time of worship a time of praise just to say thank you Thank you for all he's done this year Uh, He's been good hasn't he? He's been good, and we're just so grateful uh, To always be in his presence and to praise him Um, So this morning I'll be wrapping up um, uh, On our series on the book of Exodus family. Have you been reading Exodus? Have you really been reading Exodus? Chad, can you just hook up a second mic there, please? Second mic and uh, can you just be our runner this morning? Um, okay, are you ready? Okay, I'm just gonna ask uh, just a couple of questions, a quick quiz, okay. Anyone, somebody, except the leadership team. For now, okay. Can you tell us what is the purpose and aim of the Book of Exodus? Oh, my heart's breaking in, in pieces, like systematically, you know, like how the Twin Towers fell in demolition style. My heart is like caving in here. Um. Can you give me a just of what the book of Exodus is about? Just a nutshell. Chad, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Any hands? One at a time. (laughs) Okay, let's let's shoot lower. Let's shoot lower. (laughs) Who is the author of Exodus? There are just the English. Moses, I'm gonna give you eighty <laughs> percent. Why? Why is it not just Moses? Oh, because um, when Moses died. Uh, that guy. Yes, Joshua. There we go. Moses obviously died. His death is recorded in Exodus, so he obviously didn't rise again from the dead and come finish the Book of Exodus. Okay. Exodus is divided into how many parts? Ah, we're going to go back and preach from part 1 <laughs> How many parts? Hey, we need a remedial class for seconds. second <laughs> Okay, two, there we go Thank you so much, thank you so much uh, uh, The Gomez family, thank you so much Okay, family, let's get into Exodus 14 Before I'm preaching with uh, more heartbreak <laughs> Exodus chapter 14, when you're there, please give me an Amen Are you there quick guys? So quick. Okay. Reading from verse 1 to 22, the Bible says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi, um, let's say Pi Heroth, Heroth, between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and the children of Israel did so. Verse five, now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt were with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Harroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, this is a man of much patience. He says to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This is the title of our message this morning. The Lord will fight for you. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel will go on dry ground through the midst of the sea and I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gained honor for, my, for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went before them, now stood behind him. So it came between the pillar of cloud and the angel actually now came between the Egyptians and the camp of uh, the Israelites. In verse 20, so came to the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that one did not come near the other all that night so the presence of God protected um, Israel during that time uh, so that the Egyptians wouldn't uh, uh, catch up to them verse 21 Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land And the waters were divided so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea And on the dry land dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left hand Amen God bless to us Uh, his precious word and there's nothing I can say to you more um, Than what has been already written nothing better I can say than what has been uh, read to us this morning amen Uh, Can we pray? Father, we thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that we will not be forgetful hearers. When we hear Your Word, we'll mix it with faith. And we'll always recall Your Word in our day-to-day lives. We ask, Lord, that You speak to us. Let the preacher disappear. Let his voice disappear and let Your voice appear. We say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Help us not to look into that perfect law and liberty, of liberty, and to be like that man who forgets what it looks like. But help us, Lord, to see reflection of who you are and what you've called us to do. Be with us now as we approach your word. And the preacher, especially in Jesus name and everybody says Amen. 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 Quick overview, uh, the author like Sister Ingrid said is Moses, la- la- latter part of Exodus completed by, uh, by Joshua said to be. The original audience is the Hebrew people um, and uh, their future generations. Uh, we are usually on repeat stating that uh, the Bible addresses two audiences. There's an original audience and there's a contemporary audience. We are the contemporary audience. Um, the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us. And the original audience is the Hebrew people. Um, Exodus is dated around uh, circa 1300 B.C. during the reign of uh, Pharaoh Ram- uh, Rameses II. Um, uh, and the big idea behind uh, why the book of Exodus uh, was written is because it centers around God revealing Himself. God revealing Himself and God redeeming His people out of the land of Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. And after redeeming them out of Egypt, He now establishes these descendants of Abraham as a theocratic nation, as a nation that's ruled by God, a person. Um, also stated that Exodus uh, gives us an account of the biggest uh, escape uh, in the history of the world. God rescued two million people from slavery. Two million people from a highly fortified and powerful nation, Egypt. And I encourage myself uh, in the week, encourage my wife in the week, Uh, I said, you know what, if God is able to deliver 2 million people from an impossible situation, what is he able to do for you? What is he able to do for a family of seven, a family of five, a family of three? God can bring you out. Amen. And so God would do for the Israelites what they could not do for themselves. And this strikes at the heart of what the gospel is God doing for us sinners What we cannot do for ourselves. It all boils down to his grace It is by his grace alone through faith alone and in Christ alone and Lamotte stated that I do not understand the mystery of grace Only that it meets us where we are and does not leave us where it found us. The grace of God finds Israel where they are and does not leave them where they are. When a loving, holy God uh, does something for an, an unloving, unholy people that they cannot do for themselves, this is called grace. Exodus is divided into two parts. The redemptive narrative, which is from chapters 1 to 18. Are you listening? Yes. Okay. Second half of Exodus is from chapters 19 to 40, which deals with the legislative narrative, uh, the revelation narrative. So in the first half of Exodus, God redeems them out of bondage. God, uh, in Moses details, how God saved the people out of Egypt. And moves them from Egypt into the wilderness in the second half of, of Exodus now entails what God requires from them. Yeah. He gives them laws. He's yeah. in the Ten Commandments. He establishes the tabernacle. They are now stationed at, uh, at Mount Sinai and this speaks to what Barrett called a redemption giving rise to responsibility in other words when he's redeemed you you are, you now become responsible he holds you accountable he does not just justify us but he holds us accountable to be sanctified
1: yeah.
0: okay and so what we see in two halves of, of exodus is is god calls him out of egypt and in the second half is now that i've called you out of egypt let's get egypt out of you quick review of last week's message since so many of you forgot we did a case study we spoke of uh pharaoh's hardened heart if you remember and how pharaoh's hardened heart is a repeated occurrence in the book the first section of, of of exodus between chapter 7 to 14 there are almost innumerable accounts of god hardening pharaoh's heart and pharaoh hardening his own heart and we spoke about how this speaks Uh, and illustrates uh, the heart of an unbeliever is that when someone is bent on, on not giving in to God nothing will convince them in fact Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus who went into Abraham's bosom and one went into hell and the one who was in hell cried out and said Lord send someone back send, send Lazarus, the, the, the poor man send Lazarus back from the dead let him warn the people of this place of torment. Jesus said even if someone comes back from hell they won't believe yes. that's the power and resolve of a hardened heart yeah. the best of preaching the best of, of, of God's move in the earth signs, wonders and miracles will not necessarily convert hearts And the children of Israel are testament to that. We also spoke about moralism and how moralism is a seductive counterfeit to the gospel message. Um, And we looked how moralism seems good on the outside, but when we closely examine it, 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 it's actually void of an important component of the gospel message, and that's Jesus. And so the truths we learn from the Bible, from the Old Testament and the New Testament are only significant to the extent Uh, that they are part of the big story and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what modernism does is it tries to divorce Christ from his principles, tries to teach you about being successful and a good person without teaching you about what the gospel actually is and who Christ is revealed to be in the scriptures. And then uh, we we, we got into our message last week, we spoke about uh, how Exodus is an extension of Genesis. Um, and how exodus is an extension of the of the creation story we saw how with 10 utterances God spoke the universe into existence and now with 10 plagues he brings out a nation uh, into existence Uh, so in exodus And Genesis, we see God do the supernatural. We see God do the impossible. In Genesis uh, and Exodus, we see God call light out of darkness, order out of chaos, and in Exodus, a nation out of Egypt. Uh, We also saw how the 10 plagues were a declaration of war. How God warred with the gods of Egypt. Egypt was a polytheistic nation who believed in many gods Gods of the sky, gods of the water, gods of the land. And we saw how God judged each relevant Egyptian, e- Egyptian God and showed Egypt and Israel because Israel was influenced by this culture, how vain it is to rely on the Egyptian gods and how uh, they don't have the ability to protect Egypt. But there's only one true God. We also explained how these plagues did not happen overnight these plagues happened over a period of nine months and pastor clinton had a revelation last week uh, how a baby forms in the womb for a period of nine months it's almost as if god is incubating a nation over this period of nine months and so in nine months god rains down ten plagues we spoke about how the tenth plague was the proverbial last straw on the camel's back that broke pharaoh and broke the Egyptians and how uh, this plague allowed for Israel to escape from Egypt, and it was the last plague that broke Pharaoh and was, in a sense, an act of, of divine retribution because for 80 years Egypt would throw the babies, the firstborn babies of Israel, into the river Nile. And now God would get divine retribution and apply the law of retaliation, and and kill the firstborn of the nation of Egypt. And there was a great cry, and 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 great. There was great darkness that covered the land of of Egypt during that night. And the only saving grace. Uh, that there was for the, for the Israelites that distinguished them between the Egyptians and their firstborns who died and their firstborns who survived was the sacrificial sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And we spoke about how this speaks to the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ Jesus, who is the only distinction between those who are saved and those who perish. And we spoke about the death of the lamb uh, spoke to uh, our expiation and the propitiation of our sins. We threw out these two theological terms and we spoke about how the blood of Jesus uh, speaks to our expiation. In other words, it removes our sin. And we spoke about how the blood of Jesus speaks to our propitiation. That word means to soothe. In other words, the, the wrath of God was appeased by the blood of Jesus. Because if you don't know it, if you've been attending Rebirth for for a while, we, 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 we've been preaching a strong lately, that by nature, outside of Christ, we are objects of His wrath.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's in Ephesians 2.
1: Yeah.
0: And I know we've heard for many years, God, ain't mad at you, he's mad about you. Mm. But that's not what Ephesians says.
1: Mm.
0: Not only does he love us, but outside of Christ, we are objects of his wrath and we are on a collision course with divine justice. You never get to appreciate his grace without considering his judgment and his wrath. And so we spoke about the importance of the blood of Jesus and why Christ died for us. Now as we get into our message this morning, it's important for us to know that Exodus Exodus has three high points, three mountain peaks. The first being the crossing of the Red Sea in chapter 14, which we just read. It took 13, 14 chapters to build up to this climax. The second... Um, high point we have in Exodus is in chapter nineteen, where God on Mount Carm uh, Mount Sinai gives Moses the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which represents His law to mankind and he, the revelation of His will to mankind. And then in chapter forty, we have another high point, which is uh, which which speaks of the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle of Moses in chapter 40 we can read about that so there's three climaxes three three high events uh, in exodus and the most climactic scene in all of the old testament and the most memorable of all scenes is the crossing of the red sea Israel would never be under the egyptian rule from this point onwards there are over 15 references throughout the scriptures uh, that speak to the crossing of the Red Sea. The Hebrew people, the Jews today, still celebrate the crossing of the Red Sea. This event was the final and most decisive act of God in delivering the people of Israel out of slavery. The Exodus from Egypt and the parting of the red sea is the single most uh, uh, dramatic and greatest act of salvation you will ever find in the old testament and the hebrew writers continually recall uh, this event and this occasion When God saved these people, you'll find this event immortalized in the Psalms as they would sing to God in worship. They were called to remembrance. God's saving power when he delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. You'll find it in Psalm 66 verse 6, Psalm 78 verse 13, Psalm 106 verse 9. You'll find it in Psalm 136 verse 13. Uh, the, The Hebrew people are always recalling the single great act of God parting the waters of the Red Sea to redeem and save His people, His covenant people. We also find in Luke 9, as we mentioned last week, when Jesus is speaking to Moses and Elijah in the Mount of Transfiguration and and the Peter James and John had this experience of overhearing the conversation and the Bible says in verse 31 of Luke 9 that they are speaking about his exodus from Jerusalem which was a reference to his death and so when we get into chapter 14 We come to this high point in the book of Exodus, but we also start to find a number of themes developing and perhaps one of the most prominent themes and motifs we find uh, developing in chapter 14 that's repeated throughout Exodus is the murmuring and grumbling of the Israelites. You'll find it as early as chapter 5 when they begin to complain to Moses after Moses first encountered Pharaoh. Pharaoh uh, made the work and labor of Israel worse than what it was because Moses came and said, let my people go. Thus says the Lord. And so they complained to Moses. They said uh, in chapter 5, um let the lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hands to kill us it's like you literally moses putting a sword in pharaoh's hands and saying kill us these were dramatic people (laughs) Mm -hmm. then we find this grumbling and murmuring and complaining theme developing we find it again in chapter 14 which we just read God had supernaturally delivered them from from Egypt with with 10 plagues supernaturally they saw the signs wonders and miracles of Moses rod Um, and then they escaped Egypt and now Egypt is on their tail and so the Bible says in in chapter 14 it says uh, from verse 10 and when Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians marched after them so they were afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and then they said to Moses uh, because there were no graves in Egypt have you taken us away to die in the wilderness (laughs) you know what know the funny thing about, about, about this comment this is a very sarcastic E, you know, Two thirds of Egypt's land was dedicated to burial. This was a nation known for their ceremony around how they buried people. You see it on National Geographic about how they put the pharaohs in these embalm bombed them. This was a nation known for their burial rites. And they're saying, Were there no coffins in Egypt? Have you brought us here to die in the wilderness? And so they continue to complain, why have you dealt with us like this Moses to bring us up out of Egypt? Is it not the word that, that we said to you when we were in Egypt saying, let us alone, we'd rather serve the Egyptians. For it was better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. It's almost as, as though they say, Moses, you planned to get us out of Egypt so we can die in the wilderness. These people complained and complained. We find them complaining again in Exodus chapter 15, 22. They grumbled at Moses, that there was no water to drink in the wilderness. And they came across the bitter waters of Marah and they complained. And so God turned the bitter water sweet. You know the story. And then we find in chapter 16, they murmuring and whining again. They are complaining now that they're hungry. And so God got on uh, the delivery and said, I'll rain down manna from heaven. <laughs> and now, at chapter 16, we get the impression and feeling that their whining and their murmuring and their complaining is their besetting sin. Chapter 17, they start complaining again, they're thirsty again, <clears throat> saying, Moses, uh, we are thirsty. there's nothing to drink. Then Moses replies to them, why are you quarreling with me? Moses is now getting duck. Why are you putting the Lord to the test? You are provoking him. And so countless times you will find throughout Exodus in their journey in the wilderness that they begin to complain, they're complaining about the food, they're complaining about the water, they're complaining about the heat in the wilderness, they're complaining about the leadership of Moses, uh, they complain when Moses didn't come down from the mountain uh, while he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, they're complaining that God doesn't, that, that doesn't care about them and and they complain and complain and complain and when we get to the book of Hebrews chapter three, Uh, the rite of hebrews recalls the complaining of the israelites in the wilderness and it equates it as a time of rebellion so he says to the church in hebrews 3 therefore as the holy spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the days of rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me tried me and saw my works and miracles for 40 years therefore i was angry with their generation and said they will always go astray in their hearts for they have not known my way so i swore god made an oath in his anger And said this generation will not enter the promised land and will not enter my rest Complaining and grumbling and murmuring effectively questions God's goodness God's faithfulness God's character God's power and God's process and wisdom in your life and so the ironic thing about the book of Exodus is that in the first half of Exodus, we find the recurring theme of Pharaoh's heart being hardened and how God judges Pharaoh's heart. And then in the second half of Exodus, we now find a recurring theme of the hardened hearts of the Israelites. God now has to deal with the hardened rebellious hearts of the same people he delivered out of Egypt and their complaining and murmuring became an expression of their rebellious hardened hearts and God equated it to rebellion and the funny thing is is that God deals with the Israelites about their hardened hearts The same way he dealt with Pharaoh. (laughs) The exact same way. Because after the fifth complaint, God starts to kill them off. Are you hearing me here this morning, Pharaoh? (laughs) It's like God's not changing his modus operandi here. This is how I dealt with Pharaoh's hard heart. And just because I redeemed you out of Egypt, doesn't mean I'm going to change the way I deal with the rebellious and so And so the first thing he does in Exodus 32 is 3,000 people die, kills them off for their murmuring hearts. Then in Numbers 11 records for, for us how they complain and murmur against the leadership of Moses and then we, we see how God sends a plague and starts to kill off the people from the outside, sk- uh, the outside uh, skirtings of the camp. And then, in one day, 23,000 people died because of murmuring. God killed, sent an angel of it, and killed them all off. And then we have the case in Numbers of where the sons of Korah, in their rebellion, rose up to complain about God and complain about Moses. And in what God does, God opens up the earth and swallows them. He's had enough with complaining at this point. Enough. And after a series of complaints and rebellion against God, against Moses and Aaron, uh, uh, you know, uh, and then God brings them now into the promised land to go and spy out the land and they come back complaining, saying we saw giants in the land, we are not able to take this land, God promised it, but, but no, we, we are like grasshoppers in their sights. And then Numbers 14 records these words, of God's response to this kind of murmuring. <laughs> this is the same people he called out of Egypt. He says, your Caucasus shall fall in the wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number. And I will swear that you will not dwell in the land of promise, except for Caleb and Joshua and God wiped out the entire generation he delivered out of Egypt and he preserved two tribes two families Isaiah chapter 63 verse 10 puts us into the picture of how God felt about their hardened hearts and rebellion But the children of Israel, they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore He turned Himself to become their enemy and He fought against them. In the same manner He did with the the Egyptians. Here's a few insights about why the children of Israel complained. Just a few thoughts about murmuring and complaining and the hardened heart this morning Firstly Most of the children of Israel's complaints were against the leadership of Moses Man by his fallen nature Will always have an issue with authority Whether it's God Whether it's authority of the home Whether it's authority at your work with there's authority at church, man in his fallen state just cannot be governed or led and we trace that right back to Genesis chapter 3. Criticism and complaints are the occupational hazard of leadership and I want to speak this to, to some of you here this morning who feel called to leadership in any capacity. God's called you to be a dad. God called you to be a mom. God called you to be a businesswoman, a, a manager. God called you to be a leader in the church. God called you in any sphere. I'm not. I'm not restricting this to church leadership and, and this context to any sphere of leadership. You must be open to the fact that you will be criticized. People will complain about your style of leadership. People will even fabricate some stuff. So you, you might even be wrong sometimes. I hope wrong most of the time. <laughs> but if you don't want any kind of criticism, don't do anything.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Don't aspire to leadership. Yeah. Because trust me, those little kids with your sparkling, smiley faces that you are raising up as a leader in your home, they are obeying you nicely now. Yeah. The moment they hit that bend in the road called adolescence, They will defy you, your authority. (laughs) And you have to remind them, who wears the pants, who pays the bills? And who spanks the (laughs) bums? Leadership is the occupational, uh, criticism is the occupational hazard of leadership. So if you're aspiring to to leadership, buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) Buckle up. You've got to learn to toughen your hide without hardening your heart. You've got to develop a strong backbone and a forehead of granite. Secondly, the people complained because they were impatient with God. And this is where we all fall guilty. that We want God to do things for us. On our calendar and time schedule and if there's anything you and I have learned over the course of our journey with God is that God's clock and our clock are not synced and the way God thinks and the way you think is not the same thing and what you have planned for your life and what God has planned for uh, for your life it's, it's two different things One thing we also see about the complaining of the children of Israel, and we did speak about this last week, is that for some reason they were very quick to forget what God has done. And this this is what gripes God. I just delivered you out of a 400 year sentence of slavery the most powerful nation in the earth I rained down lice and plagues and turned the water into blood in the Nile I blotted out the sun for three days I killed the firstborn in Egypt I bring you out of Egypt with nothing short of miracle of the miracle and year you wondering if I'm gonna kill you allow you to die in the wilderness in you complaining and 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 and, and and finding every reason to go back that I bring you out of Egypt for nothing to kill you in the wilderness is this what you think of me yeah. they were quick to forget why were they quick to forget because and this is the underlying uh, This is the underlying truth about the gospel and why Christ came to to die for it and I don't want want you to miss this is the underlying issue with you and I is that we have fallen natures we have hardened hearts and so the first thing God has to do when when He saves us is that He has to give you a new heart. He says give me that heart of stone I'll give you a heart of flesh and so when we come to Christ, we should have developed more tender hearts. We should be more responsive. And so our hard, rebellious hearts don't want to serve Him. Don't want to obey Him. Don't don't want to worship Him. Yeah. I was laughing because Pastor Israel put a post. <laughs> I think I got in a lot of trouble with for that, for that post. But I'm sure he got into worse trouble. He says, uh, There's no greater hell they're marrying someone who was alive at the groove, but is unmoved in church, yeah. unmoved when it's worship, unmoved at the preaching of the gospel. Yeah. Yes. He was dead as a, uh, a doornail, a how you pass it, expression, <laughs> doornail, he was dead as a doornail, rusty doornail, but the moment sister Bettina comes on. <laughs> And the praise and worship is trying to pull you like a generator that's stuck, just trying to crank you. <laughs> Come on, people! Come on! <laughs> Come on, man! It's better to be in the house of the Lord. It's better to be in the. Give him your best dance moves, people. I'm watching you guys on Facebook when it's. Christmas parties and things I'm watching you guys huh? I see you husheling and you hurting your knees I want to see those moves in church on Sunday Okay? We have a praise and worship Sunday coming up so Good time to demonstrate that. Amen We don't always have to sing Corkies and going to Afrikaans or, or Vanak you know so we can check. No Do we still call that check? Do we still call that check? Yay! sorry, I'm from KZN <laughs> We call it Cheikh in KZN, okay Okay, don't be afraid to lift up your hands to respond to him in worship Because you, 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 you judge me for, 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 for saying that now, but God is looking and saying, "Hey, yeah, we're not is This is what you're doing when when, when when you're in these kind of settings But in church I can't solicit a response from you. But 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 let hell and high water break loose. It's not in Trana, yeah. We, we we God gets that kind of response from, from us. And and sometimes I wonder, does he not allow these things? Just to get us to see for ourselves how much we need him. Okay, okay. Is the car running? Can you, you just get the, get yeah. the caravel running, please? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we get to uh, our text this morning, and uh, I've got about fifteen minutes left. Um, we're going to look at uh, chapter fourteen, verses one to four, which uh, deals and shows us how uh, God tells the children of Israel how to devi- uh, tells him how uh, shows them. Uh, a different path in their journey to Canaan. Then we're going to look at chapter uh, verses five to nine, which deals with the pursuits of the Egyptians. I'm going to do this very quickly, and then we're going to see from verses ten to fourteen how the people cry and complain to God. And we're going to look at the the fate of Moses. And then, lastly, we're going to end on the on the actual crossing. God, uh, be with us on on verses fifteen to twenty-two. Hopefully, we can get there. Amen. <clears throat> okay so let's look at verses 1 to 4 very quickly then the Lord said to Moses tell the children of Israel, of, of Israel to turn back did you see that yeah. they've left Egypt and they've been on quite a journey for some time they, they're almost a day out from, from Egypt And then God says to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near pi Heroth between Migdar and the sea. So what's happening here is they are on the quickest route to Canaan. The shortest route. The shortest route from point A to point B. And God says, I don't want you to go on the short route. I want you to go on the lengthier route but I need you to turn back and I want you to t- take this path and when you go round a pie, Harah between Megdal I want you to get in front of the sea and to camp there can you all picture this
1: yeah.
0: now by this time The army of the Egyptians was behind them. And what are they doing? They're taking a longer route. And they have an impossible sea in front of them. So what's happening is they are being enclosed. With no way to go forward and no way to go back. And guess who led them that way? God Fresh in their minds was what God did in Egypt right and God promised I'm gonna bring you into Canaan now Canaan's before them and they were on the quickest route and God says turn back which indicates a reversal of direction and he says camp by the sea god literally led them to a place where there was no way forward and no way back they followed god and found themselves in a worse situation have you ever felt like that yeah life Have ever felt like, Lord, I've followed you my entire life. I've tried to serve you, I've worshipped you, and it doesn't seem like things are getting any better. Lord, I've trusted you, and things didn't turn out the way I hoped it would. I quoted the scriptures, I believe in your promises, I've called upon your name, and things are still not coming right. Now, firstly, I want to say that this is not a reference to the times we get our own selves in a mix. You know, I'm talking about the times when God allows unexpected turns and challenges in your life. The times where God brings you between a rock and a hard place. I'm talking about those times. Those are the times that God wants to show His glory. And those are the times when God wants to demonstrate His own power. And those are the times that God wants to test your heart. God is not keen on testing your heart so that He can see what's in your heart. He already knows what you like. God is keen on testing your heart so that he can put up a mirror and show you what your heart is like and so he brings them to this place to be tested but he brings them to this place effectively to show his glory and that his name may be known in all the earth and when God brings them to this place of testing what what is the response of the Israelites How did they fare with the exam, with the test? They failed it dismally. They gave all the incorrect answers. When Pharaoh drew near, in verse 10 we read, that they lifted up their eyes and they were afraid and they cried out to the Lord and they complained to Moses and they said were there no graves in Egypt why have you brought us out here to die and what we see here is the true state of the human condition that we are prone to forget that we are quick to complain we are quick to forget what God has done. all the times he's delivered you of all the times he's brought you through a hot mess of all the times he he brought you out of a rock and a hard place and delivered you now you stand by and look at the next challenge and say lord are you gonna are you gonna just leave me here to die no if he did it for you before he can do it for you again are you still with me family So when you find yourselves in times of crisis, don't you dare forget him who delivered you out previously, who delivered you out of drug addiction, who delivered you out of homelessness, who delivered you from the clutches of death, from unemployment, from their abusive relationship. Don't you dare forget his goodness and his mercy. Amen. What were the Israelites about to learn in this moment they were going to learn that with god there are no dead ends there are no dead ends with god if he doesn't remove it from you he will take you'll take you through it and he will always be with you and that's what matters the most and so we read in verse 4 where God again says I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue you but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord here again we have a reference to God hardening Pharaoh's heart and by this time the Word of God is clearly showing us that there is an inseparable link between Pharaoh hardening his heart and God revealing himself That God is demonstrating and revealing his name and his glory in judging Egypt God also gets glory out of judgment, and this is something we don't teach about frequently God gets glory in showing mercy but God also gets glory out of giving judgment yeah. God gets glory in the judgment of sinners let that sink in nicely yeah. when God executes judgment and condemns a sinner to hell a wicked man to hell he gets the glory Because his justice and his goodness is demonstrated that he is a fair God. He also gets glory when he shows mercy on the wicked man. And in the last day, we will see God's glory revealed on the day of judgment between the sheep and the goats. And on that day, the whole world will see that his righteousness and his judgment is true. But one thing we learn from this passage and from verse 4 Is that God's agenda Is always His glory Whether it's in judgment or mercy God is serious About His glory In fact Charles Spurgeon said God's great design in all of His works And I quote Is the manifestation of His glory Any aim less Than this is not is unworthy of himself he cannot act for the good of his creatures as an ultimate aim for that were for god to be impelled by a motive less than great than his own nature since there can be no greater than the infinite then there can be but one infinite if the infinite god be moved by an infinite motive which is the only one worthy of Him, that motive must be found in His own glory. And in simpler terms, we are always inclined and prone to have a high estimation of ourselves. About who we are, what we feel, what we're capable of doing. And we have a habit of making ourselves the center of of attention and, and purpose and the reason for why the world is rotating. But I want to make a statement today that might come across to you as shocking but is absolutely true based on the scriptures we just read and the scripture I'll read for you uh, shortly. Is that God's salvation of the world and God's redeeming of the world is primarily for His glory. The reason why He saves the world is not primarily because He loves you. It's because He's doing it for His name's sake. And that's what Charles Spurgeon is saying here. He says, if He makes the aim any less than His glory, then it's not worth it. Because He must get the glory in everything. And so His aim is His glory in redeeming you. His aim in everything he does is his glory and for his name's sake. Secondary to his glory is, that it is his love for you. He would have never sacrificed his glory for his love for you. If he did not get the glory of the cross, he would, Christ would not have died for you. Because he was about the Father's business. He was about the glory of the Father. Are you so with me, Chad? Why does it feel like I just came out of a tight corner? <laughs> 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 Exodus thirty-six. Let me just validate this. Exodus thirty-six. I'm going to read this quickly. What is the chief end of our, our it? What is the chief end of our salvation? God's glory. Uh, Exodus thirty-six, verses twenty-two to thirty-eight. reads as follows. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, "Thus says the Lord God." It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. God promises to glorify his name by accomplishing salvation for his people. And you can read that further from Exodus 36, 22 to, to, to 38. So the main reason why God responds and acts and does anything in the earth is primarily for His glory. Secondary, His love for you. Are you still with me, family?
1: Amen.
0: Let me scurry along. I think I have five minutes left. Let's look at our second points from verses five to nine. Uh, Between this passage, we have, these verses, we have Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that now hears that the Israelites have fled. And they finally escaped and the Bible says the Lord hardens his heart and Pharaoh decides to pursue them Now the question that has been bothering me throughout this chapter is Why would Pharaoh continue to pursue the Israelites? After all that he has been through After all that God has done to severely judge him God has taken away his firstborn. God has bankrupted the nation of Egypt. What makes Pharaoh think that he has a fighting chance by still pursuing the Israelites? One thing this also speaks to is the fact that Pharaoh reminds us a little bit about the devil. The devil won't let you go easy. The day you decide to quit alcohol, and the day you decide to quit pornography, and the day you decide to quit drugs is not the day the devil decides you're done. Uh -uh. He is gonna keep coming after you. Especially when you just left. He's going to keep testing you. So why would, why would Pharaoh continue to pursue the Israelites? And Stewart states that you won't appreciate or understand what, why Pharaoh pursues the Israelites if you don't appreciate a little bit about Egyptian religion and what the Near Eastern uh, religion was like. To all the ancients, in that time past in Egyptians, the gods and the goddesses that controlled the world, that they believed controlled the world, they considered them to be arbitrary and capricious and impulsive. They were always competing with one another. Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the culture at that time always believed that gods were always changing their moods and attitudes. They also believed that gods were not omnipresent. That they manifested themselves in one location and then sometimes would manifest themselves in another location. And so for some reason, Pharaoh assumed that Yahweh was the same. But he came to discover that this is not the case with Yahweh. He always is. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's always faithful to his covenant. In fact, he saved Israel because he remembered his promise to Abraham. He doesn't go back on his word. There's no false pretenses about who the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no shadow of turning with him. And secondly, Yahweh does not just reveal himself from location to location, but he is omnipresent. He's always with his people, always abiding with them, never forsaking them. And Pharaoh came to find that out. Yeah. So, Pharaoh gets on his chariots, 600 chariots. Uh, Guzik, uh, Brother Dean quote Guzik earlier, well done, man of God. <laughs> Guzik stated that these 600 chariots were probably filled with archers. Chariots were also considered the, the most sophisticated military technology of the time. And God was about to show Egypt That you can come with the most sophisticated technology of man and it's still no match for my limitless power. Let's skip along to our third point. The people cry out to the Lord, they complain, they murmur and which I think is not strange. There's no way for them to go. But the sarcasm and the murmuring (laughs) and the drama and the sugar and spice that they are adding to their complaint is, is provoking God. But what I see very strange here is how Moses responds. Because they're complaining and Moses confidently full of faith says to them, do not fear, the Lord is with us. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is fighting for you. And then, out of the blue, God says to Moses, if you read verse 15, the Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. There's no account or record of Moses crying to the Lord. But God sharply rebukes him. There's two possible answers to this puzzling scenario. Firstly, is that Moses was actually crying out to the Lord and the text omits it. We don't have it included in the passage. And so God tells him, Stop crying to me. The other possible scenario is that, Moses didn't cry out to the Lord, but the Lord told him to stop crying out to him because he is the people's prophet and the mediator between him and the prophet. And so it's actually the children of Israel that's crying out, Moses is full of faith, but this teaches us something about the the role of a mediator, teaches us something about the weight and responsibility that falls on leadership that we are accountable to the people God entrusts us to. And so we, we might very well learn an important lesson here about, about leadership. Yeah. But what's uh, what I find also intriguing about this passage is that the people are complaining, Moses turns to the Lord and the Lord rebukes him, and then the Lord says, these, these words Why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward And I'm going to close, close on this Why are you praying to me? Go forward learn an important lesson about prayer is that there's a time to pray and there's a time to act. Yes. Prayer is always relevant is always in fact the Bible says pray without ceasing but prayer must not be must not absolve be an excuse for us to have our responsibility to do something prayer is no substitute for action prayer is no substitute for obedience once you're done praying once you're done crying out to the lord get up and do something it's like a preacher once said Pray like it all depends on God. And work like it all depends on you. What we see between verses 19 and 20, we see the angel of the Lord and the pillar of cloud that followed the children of Israel now shift. When they came out of Israel, the angel guided them. And the, and the cloud was before them. Now we see from verses 19 to 20 that the angel and the cloud shift to their real God and protects them from Egypt. It reminds me of that passage in Isaiah 58 that the presence of the Lord will not only go before you, but the glory of the Lord will be your real God. Not only does He guide, but He guards. Not only does He lead, but He protects us. And So in verse 21 to 22 Moses by the commandment of God stretches out his hand and the sea splits and the way is made through for the children of Israel and a spectacular miracle happens. Many have tried to scientifically explain the parting of the Red Sea. There's about four or five detailed scientific explanations of places at the rescue where this actually occurs but to scientifically explain this way takes away from the supernatural power of god and his glory the bible says that these seas parted and they became like walls on each side the exodus from egypt to canaan child says is a foretaste Of the final joys of life in the presence of God and what we see in verse 13 and 14 when Moses tells the children of Israel to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and what we see in verse 14 when he says the Lord is fighting for us provides us with the principle of grace and this principle of grace cannot Be clearly stated and shown like it's shown here that there was nothing that the children of Israel could do to save themselves Nothing Salvation is not about what we do. It's about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus He saves us by his grace and then he gives us the gift of faith. It's not our efforts not because we're likable or we're more likable to him or we have good morals no he doesn't save us because we're deserving he saves us for his glory the minute they crossed over that sea they crossed from death to life it reminds us of what jesus said in john 5 He says, I assure you, anyone who hears my words and believes in me will have eternal life. And they will not come under judgment, but pass from death to life. The day we place our trust in him is the day we cross over from death to life. Amen. Amen. Can we stand this morning, family?